Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. Now, I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Here at Restore, um, we believe the Bible is more than just a collection of devotional pieces and moral pieces and theological pieces and, and pithy phrases and encouraging sayings. We believe the Bible is God's great story. And we also believe that we, each of us, have a place in it. So back in August, we began something called a year in the story. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a year dedicated to understanding God's great story and our place in it. And our goal for the year was to understand three things. Number one, the Bible is not what many of us have been told that it is. It's not this big set of rules. It's not a guidebook for our lives it's not a list of answers to life's most pressing questions. It's not a scientific recounting of the creation of the world. It's actually something so much bigger and so much better than that. Number two, we cannot put God into a box. No denomination or theological persuasion has cornered the market on understanding and explaining God. He's bigger than we've been led to believe, and he's better than we've been led to believe. Number three... God's story and our place in it is actually much more accessible than we think it is. The Bible contains 66 books, almost 1,200 chapters, and over 23,000 verses. And our favorite thing to do most of the time as Christians is to grab a couple of those verses, pluck them out of their context, and use them to support whatever ideology we're currently propagating. But when we do that, not only do we pervert the meaning of individual verses, we actually miss God's great story, and we miss our place in it. During the fall, we spent most of our time on the God's great story side of things. So we did a series called Eden, and we looked at Genesis 1 through 3. We talked about the creation of the world and those chapters in Scripture and what they mean. We did a series called Presence, and we talked about God's relentless pursuit of being in relationship with us all throughout his story, from the beginning chapter to the end chapter of Scripture. We did a series called Heaven, Hell, and Other Things We Don't Understand Very Well, which was really fun. And we talked about heaven, we talked about hell, we talked about the return of Jesus, we talked about the new heaven and new earth. Those are all online, podcasts, Vimeo, YouTube. If you want to check those out, I would encourage you to do so. They were a lot of fun. But as the calendar has now turned to 2019, we are shifting our focus from God's great story to our place in it, if that makes sense. We've been talking about God's great story, but now we're going to be talking a little bit more about our place inside of God's great story. And that's why this morning we're starting a teaching series called Finding My Place. Because again, y'all, we believe with our whole hearts that you and I and every single person in the history of humanity has a place in God's great story. And I'm here to tell you that if you've been told that you don't have a place, you were lied to. You have a place 
in God's great story, no matter who you are or what you've done, you have a place. But finding our place in the story isn't always easy, especially when God's story is so vast, right? It takes up over 2,000 pages on my study Bible. And especially when many of those pages have been misinterpreted, misapplied, and mishandled in ways that have really hurt some people. You see, when we have inserted ourselves into God's story in the wrong places, taking passages out of their context and ignoring their original audience, the results have been catastrophic. Consider this. Consider that the Crusades, American slavery, the Rwandan genocide, gay conversion therapy, and the Trail of Tears were all propagated by folks quoting Bible verses. All of those atrocities propagated by people with a Bible in their hand. And this is still happening today, right? Just last summer, the Bible was used by a leader of our country to justify taking children away from their parents and putting them in cages at the border. This is still happening. It's not like it happened thousands of years ago and we fixed it. It still happens all the time. What I'm saying is this, my friends, the stakes are high. This stuff matters. Knowing where our place is in the story and even maybe more importantly where our place is not in God's great story matters a lot. And that's why we're spending an entire year seeking to understand God's great story and our place in it. So the question we're seeking to answer this morning is what is our place in God's great story? What's our place in God's great story? To answer this question, we must start with the basic understanding that God has related to different people in different ways throughout his great story. Let me say that again. God has and is relating to people in different ways at different times throughout his great story. He's always done that. He will always do that. The primary way that he's done that is through something the Bible calls covenants. And a covenant is kind of like a, a contract between God and humanity. Think of it like a, a handshake agreement, right? God has a part to uphold. Humanity has a part to uphold. And when both parties agree on the terms, they shake hands. They enter into this covenant together. Now, these covenants are like signposts throughout God's great story, signifying the way he is relating to humanity at any given time. If you want to know how he's interacting with a group of people or a single person, you look at the covenant that he is in, the relationship he has with them, the agreement they've made together. This morning, we're going to spend our time journeying through these covenants in an attempt to find our place in God's great story. Because listen, here's what I'm proposing. We can be inspired, encouraged, and educated by the entire biblical story, but we are only accountable to a part of it, okay? Hopefully I ruffled some feathers when I said that. We can be educated by, we can be inspired by, we can be encouraged by every verse in every chapter and every book in the Bible, but we are only accountable to a part of it. You'll understand what I mean in just a second. We have a specific place in God's great story, or to put it in the language we've been using thus far, God has related to humanity in different ways throughout history. So how does he relate to us? How is he currently relating to us? What covenant has he made with us? You ready? That makes sense? Give me a nod. Yes. All right. All right. Let's dive in. 
The first thing to know is that there's not an exact consensus as far as like the number of covenants that God has made. Some things are just like promises that God's made to people. Some things are actually called covenants. Um, They're all different ones here. I brought my whiteboard with me. This is a smart board, but I'm going to use it in a dumb way because I don't know how to plug it in or anything like that. Um, But so it's just going to be a normal whiteboard today. But scholars agree on the big one. So there's disagreement on like the number of covenants and all that, but scholars are pretty much agreed on like the main ones, the big ones, which we're going to look at this morning. So as we do, I'm going to keep track of the covenants on the board. So we're actually going to look at five. One, two, three, four, five. I'll, t- I'll write in the name of the covenant here, the Bible passage in which it's referenced, the partner that God has in that covenant, the requirement of that partner, and then the status of that covenant today. So that's how we're going to roll through this. As always, I'd love for you to take notes. You can also, once this is complete, you can come take a picture of it after if you want something like that. But we're going to try to find our place in God's great story. So the first covenant between God and humanity is found at the very beginning of God's great story, Genesis 1 and 2. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's what happens. God makes humanity in his image, and then he gives them authority to rule over his creation. So this is commonly called the Edemic Covenant. And it is made, it's in Genesis 1 and 2, and it's made with Adam and Eve. Okay? So Edemic is Adam, Adamic coven, covenant. That's the covenant that it's called. That's what it's called. Humanity's only requirement in this covenant is just don't eat of this one tree. Like he, God started out like pretty laid back in his covenants, right? He's like, I'm going to give you the whole world. You can rule the whole thing. Don't eat a one tree. Like that's all. I had low expectations for us in the beginning, I'm assuming. So that was the only requirement, okay? I'm going to write don't eat the fruit. All right, that's all he asked. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I know that sounds trite, but this tree represents something much bigger than a dietary restriction. Humanity is given the choice to trust God or to trust themselves, to rule God's way or to rule their way. And most of us know the story. Like all of us, Adam and Eve chose to trust themselves and to rule their own way. And the covenant is broken. That was the end of the endemic covenant. But thankfully, God wasn't finished with us yet. But Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden that they were given initial uh, rulership over. And life outside the garden is hard. And humanity kind of quickly descends into violence and evil. You remember the story, right, of Cain and Abel. So brother rises up against brother and the very first murder takes place as Adam and Eve's son Cain kills their other son, Abel. 
And in Genesis 4, we see Cain's descendant, a guy named Lamech. And he is so depraved that he actually writes a song. It's recorded in Genesis 4 about all the women he treats harshly, about all the men that he's killed. He's braggadocious about his violence and his evil and his oppression. And the world continues spiraling deeper and deeper into violence and oppression and eventually reaches its apex in this city called Babylon. And in Babylon, in Genesis 11, we see the invention of this, what was at this time, new technology, and that's they learned how to make bricks. And these bricks allowed people to make large structures very quickly. So they decide to use these bricks to make this tower that's called the Tower of Babel. And they believe this tower will help them reach up into the heavens, making them equal with God. Again, God says, I want you to rule my way. They say, no, we want to rule our way. In fact, we're just as good as you. We're going to build this temple. We're going to be just as high as you, just as powerful as you, and we are going to rule the way we want to rule. So God comes down. He confuses their language, and he scatters them over the whole earth. After that scattering happens, different factions and nations begin to form. And listen, just 13 chapters after God makes the perfection of his world, humanity is at war. 13 chapters later, we're already at war with each other. So God enacts a new plan. He chooses a man named Abram, later called Abraham, to make a covenant with. And that is our second covenant. It is called the Abrahamic covenant. And it is with Abraham, his family. So he makes this covenant. It's recorded in Genesis 12. And God's plan is to restore his relationship with Abraham and Abraham's family in order to restore his relationship with all the families of all the world. So here are the terms, Genesis 12. The Lord God said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So this here is in Genesis 12. God makes this covenant with Abraham to bless his offspring so that all humanity will be blessed through them, right? He says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to restore my relationship with you so I can restore my relationship with every family in the world. And in return, Abraham, God asks Abraham to leave behind everything he's ever known. He says, go from your country, your people, your family, and come with me wherever I ask you to go. That was his requirement. So it's in Genesis 12. And the requirement is simply follow God. That's what he asked Abraham to do. Follow me. Go where I tell you to go. Do what I tell you to do. And Abraham shakes God's hand. He agrees to the covenant and he promises to trust God, to go where God leads, to let God lead this family that he's going to bless and do things the way God asks him to do. But literally six verses later, six verses after he makes this covenant with God, Abraham stops trusting God starts trying to do things his own way. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land as Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me and let you live. So say you are my sister, that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared 
because of you. Abraham totally abandons God's plan for his family. Six verses after he makes a covenant with God. He asks his wife to lie and say that she's his sister. So when they arrive in Egypt, you can read this story in Genesis 12. When they arrive in Egypt, Pharaoh takes Sarai to be his wife. Because they walk in, he's like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. Abraham's like, that's my sister. You know, that's fine. Yeah, do your thing. Like that, yeah, she can be one of your wives. That's totally fine. And so Sarai goes with Pharaoh and becomes one of the leader of Egypt's wives. And this is just the beginning, right? Like all of us, Abraham has ups and downs, faithful and unfaithful moments, but he fails to uphold his end of the covenant. And you guessed it, the covenant is broken. Next comes the Mosaic covenant. This is the covenant that God makes with the tribe of Israel Uh, Abraham's descendants, the rest of his family, after he frees them from slavery in Egypt. This covenant's found in Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. And just really quick, so Jacob here is uh, Abraham's grandson. So a lot of times you'll hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That Yahweh, that God is the father, the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob is later called Israel, and that's where Israel, the people, get their names. So this is later down the line on Abraham's descendants. So Abraham broke the covenant. God's going to make a new one with his descendants through Moses. He says, tell them this. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. They shake God's hand. They say, we're in on this covenant. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So this covenant is called the Mosaic Covenant. And it's found in Exodus 19. And it is with what we're calling the tribe of Israel. So they're not really a full nation yet. They're just kind of a... And he asks them, he gives them over 600 laws as their requirement in the covenant. This is what he's asking them to do. So you can already hear some of the similarities, right, between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. God confirms his purpose for the people of Israel, for Abraham's family and his descendants that he talked to them about way back. He wants them to be a kingdom of priests, right? He wants them to be ministers to the whole world. He set them aside so that they can bring blessing to every single person in the world. He blesses them to be a blessing. He restores his relationship with them so he can restore his relationship with everyone else. So God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai. He's like, all right, we shook hands. Let's do the deal. Come up. He gives them the 10 commandments. He gives them about 600 other laws to go along with the 10 commandments. And these laws, they're meant to shape Israel into a nation of justice and generosity so that they will be a catalyst for God's love to the whole world. These 600 plus commands are found throughout the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, mostly in Exodus and Leviticus. So those 600 plus laws are the requirement in this Mosaic covenant. 
Now, look, the Mosaic Covenant, if, you, if you've read a lot of those first five books of the Bible, there's some confusing stuff in there. There's some weird stuff. There's even maybe some barbaric stuff in there we would consider by today's standards. The Mosaic Covenant is full of things that we struggle to understand. It forbids things like eating pork or shaving your sideburns or getting tattoos or mixing fabrics in your clothing. But we have to remember, y'all, we have to remember, we are not the partner in the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, he's not covenanting with us. He is covenanting with the tribe of Israel. He is relating to certain people in certain times at certain places. And this is a completely different time and place and culture from ours. He's relating to them differently than he relates to us now. Look, like, like I said at the beginning, we can be inspired, encouraged, and educated by these other covenants, but we are not accountable to them. We are not the partner in these covenants. Does that make sense? Give me a nod if that makes sense. We are not the partners in these covenants. The partner in this covenant is the tribe of Israel, not us. And this covenant makes sense for them. You see, when we understand the law, these 600 plus laws in their context, it's truly amazing. Marginalized people of all stripes back in this ancient Near East time, slaves, women, children, immigrants, they were all treated significantly better under the laws in the Mosaic Covenant than any surrounding nation around Israel. God was elevating the, the ethic, the requirement, so that they would be this standout nation of priests so they could minister to the world around them. The Mosaic Covenant made sense for the people of ancient Israel. It doesn't make sense for us because it's not for us. Our time, our covenant is still to come. But we have one more Old Testament covenant to cover before we get to ours. This one is called the Davidic covenant, and it was made with King David. And what is now the, it is from 2 Samuel 7, and what is now the nation of Israel. So he makes this in 2 Samuel 7. Here's what it says. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. This is God talking to David. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God tells David, I'm going to establish my throne through you, through your offspring. And in return, God asks David to rule God's way. That's all he says. You're the leader of this nation. When you lead, when you rule, I want you to do it my way. You see there's some similarities here. He's asking Adam and Eve, rule, lead my way. He's asking Abraham's family, he's asking Abraham, lead my way. Lead your family my way. Trust me. The Mosaic Covenant, he's asking the tribe of Israel, here are all these laws. You're going to be a leader among the nations, but lead my way. Same thing for David and the nation of Israel. Lead, rule my way. If you know this story, you know that things went well for a while. David is the only person in all of Scripture that's called a man after God's own heart. But then David does something really horrible. He forces a woman named Bathsheba to sleep with him and then has her husband Uriah killed. 
Not long after that, David's whole family starts falling apart. One of his sons tries to kill him, and then it's, he is actually murdered himself. And honestly, that's like some of the milder stuff that happens in David's family. Stuff that I don't even feel comfortable talking about in this room because there are kids in here. Just like the Adamic and the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant is broken. Rule my way, lead my way, trust me, believe in me, go where I tell you to go. And every single time, humanity is unable to hold up their end of the bargain. Are you starting to see not only the consistency in what God's asking folks to do, but the consistency in God just pursuing us? Like he's coming after us. Like Adam and Eve screwed it up. He could have just been like, peace, I'm out. Like you guys messed it up. I gave you a chance. No, you messed it all up. You're out of the garden. Figure it out yourself. But he keeps coming after Abraham, Moses, David, the people of Israel. He, he keeps relentlessly pursuing relationship with humanity. It's truly an amazing thing. But these first few covenants, obviously, they're just, they're not working, right? It's obvious by the end of the Old Testament that humanity needs some serious help. God keeps making covenants. Humanity keeps breaking covenants. God knows that it's time for something different. It's time for something new. It's time for something new. You see, while humanity was floundering in our sin and totally unable to hold up our end of the bargain, God was using people called prophets all throughout the Old Testament to predict a day when God would bring fulfillment to these other covenants and begin a brand new covenant. We first hear about this new covenant from the prophet Jeremiah. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. You hear that same mission that God's on in there, right? They will all know me. Not just the people of Israel, not just Abraham's family, but the whole world from the least to the greatest. You'll no longer have to say to your neighbor, know the Lord because they will know him. The prophets predicted that this new covenant would be ushered in by a Messiah is the term they use. It's just a, it's a term that means savior. A savior of the world was coming. And as the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, we are introduced to Jesus Christ. Now, you may not know this about Jesus, but Christ is not his last name, right? Jesus is his name, okay? And Christ is his title, right? So he is the Messiah. Christ literally means Messiah or Savior. So he is literally Jesus the Savior. That's what Jesus Christ means. He's the long-predicted Messiah the savior of the world that the prophets have been talking about for thousands of years as covenant after covenant has been broken. They said, there's someone coming. There's someone coming and he's gonna save us. We're told that he is the last Adam, right? 
He's the last Adam, fulfilling the Adamic covenant by doing what the first Adam was unable to do, trust and obey God. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, right? So he's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant by being a blessing to the whole world. He's the faithful Israelite what scripture calls him. The first and only person able to truly obey the law and fulfill the Mosaic covenant. Finally, we're told that he is the king from the line of David, the long predicted descendant of David who will come and rule God's way and bring about God's kingdom. Isn't that amazing? He comes and he fulfills all the old broken covenants that we could not hold up our end on. He came and he erased the brokenness and he fulfilled him. How is he able to do this? Y'all, he's able to do it because Jesus isn't just a dude. Jesus is God with skin on, okay? He is God, left the perfection of heaven, come to the brokenness of earth, put on human flesh, and fulfilling all the covenants that we, that humanity never could. Listen, think about it. God became human so he could hold up our end of the bargain. So God shakes hands with humanity, right? He says, I'm going to make this deal. Here's God. Here's us. We make the deal. Humanity breaks it every single time. So God puts on flesh, gets his own human hand, So he can shake his own hand and fulfill the covenant that we couldn't do. Isn't that incredible? He came and fulfilled all the ones that we, that humanity broke. He shook God's hand on our behalf. And then he made a covenant that could never be broken. The new covenant. And as Jesus inaugurated this new covenant, he did so at the Passover meal, right before he was arrested and killed on the cross. Luke 22 records it. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the, what? New covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Notice, Jesus didn't say this is a covenant. This isn't just a new covenant. This is the new covenant. When the disciples heard this, they would have immediately thought back to Jeremiah 31 and the promise that God made to introduce this new covenant that would take away the sins of the whole world. They wouldn't have just thought, oh, this is just another covenant. He he said the new covenant. This is the one the prophets have been talking about. This is the one where he takes away all the sin of all the world. The new covenant did what the old covenants could not do. It restored God's broken relationship with all of humanity. I love how pastor and author Andy Stanley puts it. He says, Jesus used his final Passover meal to announce the end of Passover as they knew it and to signal the inauguration of a new covenant. Not a new covenant between God and an individual, as was the case with Abraham. Not a covenant between God and a particular nation, as was the case with Israel. This was the big one. 
the final one, the everlasting one. This was a covenant between God and the human race. Y'all, this is our covenant. All humanity. We're looking for our place in the story. We found it, okay? This is where we are. This is where we belong. And like I said, it's not just a new covenant. It is a way better covenant. It's a way, way better covenant. The Bible even says so in the book of Hebrews. It says, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. It's a better covenant since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And then he goes on to quote the entire passage we just read from Jeremiah 31. And then he says, he ends by saying, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. The old covenants are obsolete in the sense that we are no longer bound by them. These are not agreements with us. No one is. Through Jesus, God has done something beautiful and something brand new. The old covenants have been fulfilled. We can learn from them. We can be educated by them. We can be inspired by them. We can be encouraged by them. We can see ourselves in the people of Israel as they struggle and mess up and have highs and lows. All of that is true and real and good. But we are not accountable to these old covenants. They are now obsolete. The new covenant isn't an add-on to the old covenants. It's something completely new. And the promises of God in the new covenant are really so much better. Listen to how Paul describes it to his letter in the church in Rome. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He did what the old covenants could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law, all the requirements of the old covenant would be fully satisfied for us. Here's the agreement that God makes with us in this new covenant. We place our faith in him and he does everything else. We place our faith in him and he does everything else. Put it another way, he does everything and then we just trust him to do everything. That's the new covenant. He does it all, we just trust him to do it all. That's our job. Like Matt said, we just say yes. We just say, I'm in. We just put our faith in Jesus. That's our requirement in this new covenant. This is our place in the story. This is the new covenant. An agreement between us and God where when we place our faith in him, he promises to, I'm just gonna read this list because we don't have time to go through all of it, but listen. 
He promises to adopt us into his family, make us a new creation, give us a full life, spend eternity with him in paradise, take away our sin, free us from guilt and shame, give us the righteousness of Jesus, deliver us from the power of darkness, give us an inheritance, make us the light of the world, and much, much, much more. We could do an entire sermon series on each of these. These incredible promises that God makes to us in the new covenant. In short, he has given us everything. In fact, that's what Ephesians 1.3 says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And this covenant can never, ever be broken because we're not the hand shaking God's. He shook his own hand. He put on flesh, shook his own hand so that this covenant can never be broken. It is both perfect and eternal. That is the status of that covenant and that will forever be the status of that covenant. We can be inspired, encouraged, and educated by these old covenants, but we are not accountable to them. No one is. They have been fulfilled by Jesus. We have been given a new covenant, a new way to relate to God. This is our place in the story. That's where we find ourselves. So here's what I'll leave you with this morning. Know your place in God's great story. Embrace your place in God's great story. Because like we talked about at the beginning, the consequences are dire if we try to insert ourselves in someone else's place in the story. But y'all, it's, it's more than that. Because if we don't understand and live the new covenant, we are destined to miss out on that list of things that I just read through. We're destined to miss out on the incredible promises that God has made us in this new covenant. A full life and an eternal life. If you're here this morning and you are ready to step into your place in the story, you're tired of trying to find yourself someone else, somewhere else, and you know this new covenant is for you. I'm just gonna be hanging out in the back after we're done. I would love to just meet you and talk with you about that, give you more information about that. I have found my place in the new covenant and it has been the best thing that has ever happened to me. The best thing that's ever happened to me. Come find me, I'd love to talk with you, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, thank you. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you that even when we were breaking and messing up every other covenant that you'd made with humanity, God, you didn't let that stop you. You came and fulfilled all the brokenness. You restored the relationship. You came after us. Relentlessly, recklessly, you came after us. Thank you that we're yours in the new covenant. Thank you that we have a place in your story, that we have a place in your family. Thank you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.